0: You would turn in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 25. So to the saints who are in Myrtle Beach and faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not let, or do not sin, excuse me, do not let the sun go down on your anger And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who stills must still no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that you will illuminate your word by your spirit, that we would understand and we would obey. Bless our service, convict those who are unrepentant. Father, I pray that you will set us apart, those of us that believe that we would be holy and blameless before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about this. What good would it have done if Abel, claiming to believe God, had not in obedience offered God a blood sacrifice according to God's provision in the garden? What good would it have been if Noah, claiming to believe God, had not built the ark for the saving of his household? What good would it have been if Abraham, claiming to believe God, had not left his homeland for the land of promise, and had not, when he was old, offer up, offered up his own son Isaac? What good would it have been if Sarah, in her old age, had not, by faith, slept with her elderly husband to conceive Isaac? What good would it have been if Isaac had not blessed Jacob and given him the birthright? What good would it have been if Moses' parents had not hidden him for three months and placed him in the Nile River waiting in essence for God to rescue him? What good would it have been if Moses had not suffered, chosen to suffer the ill treatment of the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin or if he had not kept the Passover, or if he had not lifted his staff and passed with the children of Israel through the Red Sea? What good would it have been if Joshua had not obeyed the Lord's command to circle Jericho seven times? What good would it have been if Rahab had not hidden the spies and dropped that scarlet cord out of her window? And then moving ahead, what good would it have been if the apostles had not forsaken everything to follow Christ when he said, come follow me? And what good would it be for us? If we say, I believe God, I trust the Messiah, Christ, as my Lord and Savior, if we do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we do not lay aside the old man and put on the new. The Apostle James wrote, chapter 2, verse 18, But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. Speaking of Abraham, James also wrote, You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or imputed to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And then later in that same chapter, verse 26, he writes, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Think of it this way. Just as we are justified in the sight of God by faith alone, we are justified, in essence, in the sight of men by works alone. Because good works is the evidence. It is the proof of faith. The scriptures are perfectly clear. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it's also clear that faith without works is dead. It's not saving faith. Faith that does not produce good works is not saving faith. For even demons believe God and tremble. So we can rightly say, where there is no works, there's no fruit, there's no living root. We heard another word from James last week, earlier in chapter 14. What use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? And again, the answer is an emphatic no. So saving faith always produces works. It always bears fruit. Of course, the regenerate sometimes stumble. But because God himself is the giver and sustainer of faith as a habit of life, faith works. Faith bears fruit, according to Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty through twenty-four that we've looked at a few weeks ago. What has the truth in Jesus taught us? It asks us that question, and it has taught us to put off the old man, which is corrupted in deceitful lust, and put on the new man, created in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. This is the proof of regeneration. This is the response of saving faith. This is repentance in practice. If you're still adorned in the old man, corrupted in deceitful lust, you have not been born again. If you're not adorned in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness, if you're not a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are yet dead in your sins. Is it possible to be made a child of God and not begin to grow in Christ's likeness? Is it possible to be given a new nature, the very nature of God, and not be different? Is it possible to be raised from spiritual death and continue to live like the dead? Is it possible to be born from above and continue to live like the world? Jesus said, You will know them by their fruits. Your fruit will always reveal your root. Either your faith is anchored in the soul of the saving Messiah, or it's anchored in your own self-righteousness. Or possibly it's anchored in a God that's not holy and does not demand holiness. So how do we know if we're born again? How do we know if God has really rescued us from sin, death, and hell? Well, the primary evidence is not that you've prayed a prayer. It's not that you've asked Jesus into your heart. It's actually a changed heart. Because those who are the regenerate are new creations in Christ Jesus. By His power. You see, a new heart. Always results in a changed life and so we are and can examine ourselves to see if we're the household of faith if you're not a new creation again you're dead in your sins awaiting the righteous wrath of God because God is a good judge but if God has raised you from spiritual death you in faith have repented and believed, laying aside the old man and put on, putting on the righteousness of God, the likeness of God, His holiness. Just as Lazarus, once he came up out of the grave, God told him to come forth, just as he came up out of the grave, he needed his old grave clothes laid aside. And so do we. The scripture is very clear. False salvation occurs in a moment of time. When in response to the good news of Christ, a believer strips off that old manner of living and puts on the likeness of God in Christ Jesus in holiness, we must also understand repentance is ongoing. And we see that in our verses today. in Verses 25 through 32. John the baptizer said on one occasion... Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8. Children of God have an ongoing need for spiritual growth in holiness and a need for continual cleansing as we journey in a sinful world. In Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, we see the relationship between cleansing and salvation, what we call positional sanctification versus practical sanctification, that ongoing need for repentance, for cleansing. Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. He's already clean, in other words. When we're saved, we are cleansed from all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's a judicial act. We have been perfectly forgiven in Christ through his blood. We have been made holy in his saints. Or in his sight, excuse me. Therefore, we're called saints. Our sins are separated from us. In God's eyes, as far as the east is from the west. So people may rightly ask, If my sins are forgiven, why do I need to confess my sins? Why do I need this ongoing cleansing from sin? 1 John nine. Well, that's exactly what we're seeing in John 13. In that text concerning washing the feet of his disciples, the distinction between judicial forgiveness and relational forgiveness is there. When we are regenerate, we believe in our hearts, we are forgiven, we're cleansed from all our sins and imputed with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are adopted as children of God, given a divine nature. We are no longer in Adam but now we are in christ we are in god's family we are of the household of faith yet we still live in the flesh an unredeemed flesh in which sin dwells so not only do we as new creations need to grow in holiness we sometimes battle the flesh don't we and we sometimes sin although we remain children of god We sometimes need parental discipline and relational forgiveness. Not much different than this life, is it? When a child disobeys, we don't kick that child out of the family. I hope not. But relational forgiveness is needed. It's necessary. So there's a continual, ongoing putting off the old man and putting on the new in essence, it's growing in holiness. It's growing in the likeness of Christ, being conformed to Him, to His image. It's continually laying aside the old and putting on the new. That's what we do when we believe. That's the obedience of the gospel, to put off the old and put on the new. In aorist a one-time effective action. But in these verses, we're seeing... Not only is it something that occurred in salvation, it's something that continues in the Christian life. You see, we are being readied for the glorious bridegroom. Because one day Christ will return and take us to glory. And he'll present us, his bride, to himself as a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Think about it. We ought to be striving to be holy, to be the bride of Christ. So Paul writes in verse 25, and we're getting started in the text this week. Verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is the third therefore of chapter 4. And is a response to the general description of the new life that we see in verses 20 through 24. It is the first command to those who in salvation have already put off the old man and put on the new. This command in essence is the ongoing practice of repentance. It's a part of practical sanctification, being set apart unto Him. It's growing in holiness. It's the process of walking worthy of the calling to which we've been called. It's a call to live like our position in Christ. It's a call to holiness. It's it's in direct contrast to walking like the unsaved masses, the Gentiles walk. We're to no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. But we're to walk in a new life, in a new manner of life. We are empowered by God to do so. This is not something that we can muster up of our own accord. We are empowered by the Spirit who indwells us and who lives within us. Paul begins, therefore, laying aside falsehood. Therefore, because you have laid aside the old man, you must continue to lay aside falsehood. That's in essence what we're seeing here. False, falsehood is the word pseudos. We've, we know the word pseudo, right? It's a prefix, and it means, often used as a prefix, it means false or fake. But pseudos refers in the Greek text to a lie a conscious and intentional falsehood or lie. John in unveiling, in the unveiling, the book of Revelation, warns us that liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to what he said, Revelation 21. It's also pointed out the same in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But he writes in Revelation, for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, those who don't fall into this category, the redeemed, are not those who are perfect, but they have the perfect righteousness Of jesus christ and they began to put off the old and put on the new that's the response of faith that's the obedience of the gospel of jesus christ a believer may sometimes lie just as he may fall into sin but if his life is a habitual flow of lies he has no biblical basis or she has no biblical basis for believing that they are born again, none whatsoever. You see, one's habit of life stems from the heart. Those who habitually lie show themselves to be children of the devil. In John eight forty four it says when Satan speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet those who speak the truth show themselves to be children of God, for God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First John one five. Understand lying includes much more than what we call black lies. What we call white lies are just as dark. Things like exaggeration, mixing false with the truth, or lying with a good motive. In the 1980s, a professing Christian comedian became known for his powerful testimony. Mike Warnke, you might remember him. He had claimed that God had delivered him from being a Satanist priest and a drug addict. But in 1992... He was challenged by an article in Cornerstone magazine questioning his testimony, his methods, and his lifestyle. He was living quite a lifestyle. In response, he first denied, but he later admitted, and I quote, Over the years, I embellished the story so much that I no no longer knew what was true and what was not. That's not the characteristic of a child of God, of a person that has God's nature. Even if a person believes their sin might be for someone else's benefit, it's still sin. As I've heard it said many times, the end does not justify the means. Even cheating on a test or income taxes... Is a form of lying. Making foolish promises, betraying a confidence, flattery, or making unjust excuses are all forms of lying. A believer's life should be characterized by laying aside falsehood and speaking truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. That's the command. A Christian should have no part in any form of lying. A life of falsehood is incompatible with the new nature. The word translated laying aside means discarding, stripping off, or casting away. It's the same word Luke used to refer to the Jewish leaders who, as they were stoning Stephen, laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul they laid aside their garments so that they could more freely do their wicked deeds. However, believers are to lay aside falsehood so that they can speak the truth with their neighbors, so that they can be free to do the righteous deeds of God. Verse 25 again. Let's continue to break it down. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In this verse, Paul quotes from Zechariah 8, verse 16, and in doing so, he moves us from the negative prohibition to a positive command, and that command is this, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Christ is himself the way, the truth And the life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And God's word is truth. John 17, 17. When a person is regenerated. He steps out of the domain of darkness, falsehood. Into the domain of light or truth. Then every form of lying becomes utterly inconsistent with the new man. It doesn't fit. It does not fit. We're not talking about sinless perfection. Make sure you understand that. We're not, we're, what we're talking about is a habit of life that stems from a new heart, a living heart given to us by the grace of God. Just like Paul, we're not perfect or free from sin. Romans 7, Philemon 4. Yet God's kingdom is based on truth. It's a truth economy and his people cannot be effective instruments in his kingdom. They cannot be good kingdom citizens unless they live a life in truthfulness. It's a life of truth that speaks the truth. Again, verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another. The word Neighbor, placeon, means not always neighbor as we think of neighbor. It literally means near or close by. But here, how do we know what it means? It's defined by the phrase that follows it. For we are members of one another. Of course we're to speak the truth to all men, but we have a particular reason to be truthful with believers, because we are fellow members of of Christ's body. We are children of God, therefore we are family. Believers in Christ should be characterized by truthfulness with one another. Paul has always or consistently or already in this case admonished us to speak the truth in love, verse 15, for it is as we speak the truth in love, that we as a body grow up into Christ. We grow in the truth of Christ. We grow doctrinally on the things, the, the fundamental truths of the Word of God, the gospel message. And we function as Christ's body, serving Him in this world. That's the church. Remember, we're being ready for Christ's glorious return. He is in heaven, can't get my words out, he is in heaven preparing a place for his bride. Just as a Jewish man would build on to his father's insula, that family larger, extended family dwelling, and when the father told him, it's time, it's ready, it's sufficient, the place that you've built on to the insula, go get your bride. One day, the father will tell his son, go get your bride. One day, the glorious bridegroom will return for his chosen bride, a bride redeemed by his own blood, cleansed, By the washing of the word, a bride made ready, and he will present her which is us to himself, a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless before him, perfect. So in faith, we have cast off the old dirty garments stained with sin. And put on the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. But we must continue to put away, to put off, to lay aside the old man, the old manner of life, and put on the new man in the likeness of God. This is the new life put into practice. It's being new creations in Christ and living it out. This practice begins, as we see in verse 25, with laying aside falsehood and speaking truth to one another, promoting growth and unity in this glorious body called the body of Christ, the household of God, the temple of God, the vine, receiving life from the branch or from, from the root. Or the vine, actually. The branch is receiving life from the vine. That's what I'm trying to say. And we are the sheep of his pasture. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Cornerstone is a part of that universal church. We are a local body. We are the ecclesia here in Myrtle Beach. It means called out. We've been called, chosen, and called out of the world to holiness and righteousness. We are the church of the saving Messiah. He is the saving Messiah that saves to the uttermost. He saves perfectly. Folks, we have been saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be saved. May we live like it. May we live like it. May we put off the old man and put on the new. May we put off falsehood and speak to one another in love, especially in the church of Jesus Christ.